Hello and welcome to Hugenhoff Podcast, episode 88. Today I have Steve. How are you? I am existing. Um, you know, I wanted to go back to something. What did I want to go back to? The future. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so old people will understand my Back to the Future reference. Uh, but for will they? Else, no, probably. Yeah, no, that movie was iconic. It, it's iconic. They know what Back to the Future is, but do they know why we're talking about it? <sighs> yeah, they do. Okay. That's iconic. That is definitely iconic. Yeah. Is it just because the eights made an infinity sign? So that uh, has to do with time. So that's why you go time traveling. No, I, th- I think it's that's as, I think it's as fast as a DeLorean might be able to go. Yeah, well, that might be true as well. It's peak yeah. speed. Come on, you don't need to go any faster than that. Yeah, I've never driven driven faster than eighty. Okay, miles wasn't that car that's that car was completely made of steel? Wasn't it? Yeah, I feel like it'd be really heavy. Probably harder to get up to speed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that probably was its top speed. Anyway, enough of that. We are going to do a podcast today where we're going to continue going over the sacred text. So we've kind of got a serious topic today. Uh, We're going to be picking up on 39. So it'll be fun. But before we get into that, let me do my introductions. Check out my website if you want to. You can find it at hugenhoff.org. You can find the show notes. Subscribe to the RSS. That's a big one. Subscribe to the RSS so you don't miss an episode since we're only coming out monthly. Uh, if you had any questions, feel free to email me, hugenhoffpodcast at gmail.com. I can be whatever questions or show ideas. If you want to hear us talk about something, send in your emails and maybe we'll talk about it. And just for clarity, say, hey, you should talk about and then say whatever. Just, you know. So I don't get confused. Are we just going to get a bunch of emails that say, talk about whatever? Uh, let's see how smart alecky our audience is. <laughs> I'd do it. <laughs> um, I wouldn't, but I, I would laugh if I saw it done. So we will see. We'll see what happens. Uh, before we jump into it, though, Lore, you wrote a book. I did write a book, but not by myself this time, though I have others. Uh, This time, I just published a new book called You Must Be Drunk, set in kind of a Norse mythology kind of world. So if you are interested in that, and wait a minute, you guys are listening to a a Norse-related podcast? Perhaps you might be. It's it's a lot of fun. It it started out as a silly little story, and it got a little bit more serious as it went on, but it's still silly. So I highly suggest you go out to Amazon right now and find You Must Be Drunk, written by... Stephen and Samantha Oaks. Yes, for once the books that we that you're advertising are actual top, actually topical to the show, which is kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, the other ones are all sci-fi. So hey, here we go. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, definitely go ahead and check that out. Um, and you know, while you're out there, check out Steve's other books. He wrote a lot. Uh, yeah. Oh, and I want to mention that I did make that D and D calculator app. I had a mistake with how it calculated money, so I fixed that. If you want to go out to frothnear.com, you can download the new one. Again, it's free, and it doesn't help me at all, but you should totally download it because I just think that's cool. Unless you've just completely messed up the rules for the game and decided to write your own D&D rule set, it'll work. 
Yes, as long as you're using some of the rules that exist for the game, you should be fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 just like a real simple one. Mostly I was playing around with uh, Java Swing, which was kind of fun. But yeah, I like it. You should download it. It's free and super simple. And if you're interested in our D&D campaign that we play, I generally write up a little thing on my blog. Uh, it'll be yeah. labeled under D&D, so you can check out how that campaign's going. You know From my what? perspective... I still haven't read that. I keep forgetting it exists. I know at least a couple of people who are in our campaign read it, and they're like, well, I guess that's kind of how it went. <laughs> you need to get people who aren't in the campaign because they don't know any better. But oh, okay. Yeah, that must have been what happened. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, enough silliness or silliness aside, we shall, well, maybe for a little bit. Not with me. No, probably not. But we are going to jump into episode 39. Do you want to read it? Episode 39? Where's uh, this episode you're talking about? Dude, I said the wrong word. Stands at 39. I'm sorry. Very well. So we're doing the Gang Cleary or something here? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Gilfaginning. Gilfaginning. I'm sorry. That's the name of the guy. Uh, then said Gang Larry, What have the champions to drink that may suffice them as abundantly as the food? Or is water drunk there? Then said Har, now thou askest strangely, as if all father would invite to him kings or earls or other men of might and would give them water to drink. I know by my faith that many a man come to Valhall who would think he had bought his drink of water dearly, if there were not better cheer to be had there. He who before had suffered wounds and burning pain unto death, I can tell thee a different tale of this. The she-goat, she who is called Hydrun, stands up in Valhall and bites the needles from the limb of the tree which is very famous and is called Lerder. It sounds like ladder. And from her udders, mead runs so copiously that she fills a ton every day. T-U-N ton. Interesting. That ton is so great that all the champions become quite drunk from it. Yay! Then sang Ganglary. That's a wondrous proper goat for them. <laughs> it must be an exceeding good tree from which she eats. Then spake Har, even more worthy of note is the heart. Oh, good. I'm going to have fun with this one. Eichthrinri, which stands in Valhall and bites from the limb of the tree, and from his horn distills such abundant uh, exution that it comes down into... <sighs> Hervgelmer. See, I read ahead when I'm reading, so I, I stumble over some words. Sorry. And from thence fall those rivers called thus. Sid, Vid, Soken, Aiken, Aiken, Svol, Guntra, Thjorm, Fimbulfol, Fimbulfol, haha, Gipol, Gopol, Gomul, Gervirmul, those fall about the abodes of the Aesir. These also are recorded. Thren vin Nit not non thron vina vexvin and Fjorduma. Uh okay. Is uh, that why you picked me to read this one? Thanks, yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> I mean it really worked out in my favor this time. So this is just a description of Valhalla. 
Um, I don't know if there's anything super important to say here. Well, I mean, the goat's pretty cool. The goat that has mead come from it, that is pretty cool. And then the stag does a bunch of... Or a heart, I'm sorry. A bunch of... uh, rivers come from which is interesting and i don't know if they relate to our world at all necessarily but yeah these that it mentioned were the ones in um um asgard Mm -hmm. stopped working uh so i don't know if the rivers go all the way into medgard from here probably not it looks like these are the ones in asgard so that is interesting i don't know what that says i don't know what that means uh, if it's a description or if there's anything more going on i i like the again connection to like animals and stuff uh, yeah uh, uh, there's a lot of tiebacks to nature and things in the natural world being mirrored to some extent and like the spiritual world if you will which i i like that connection but well also i think uh, if we Think about the antlers on a heart. Yeah, m- vaguely, perhaps, in my mind, you might think of a, a river splitting apart or coming together. You can. Like branches. Yeah, because it's got that pattern, like a river branches out like that, and the antlers do too. Um, so yeah, I wonder if there is uh, something being said there, that there's a certain... And, and I mean, I don't think this is the main point or mm-hmm. anything but but is there this idea like uh, all parts of nature are somehow following some of the same basic principles like that whole or, fractal thing uh, or it could be a problem with translation and they were just naming off a stag's antlers as if it were the river or because they were the river they just thought it looked like a stag so here's the names it could, but I mean, you are bringing both things into the same sentence at the very least. Mm-hmm. You're making some sort of simile or a, allusion, or I forget what the other one's called. There's some comparison between like a stag's horn and the river. So I don't know. There could be something in that saying like these vastly different parts of nature, a stag's horn and a river, do have some amount of similarities between them which which is kind of interesting i think that's a side point it's not like what the stands is about but it's still something interesting to think about okay should we go on it's your turn sir all right um that's 39 so this is 40 then said Ganglary, there are mar- these are marvelous tid- these are marvelous tidings which thou now tellest a wondrous great house Valhalla must be it must often be exceedingly crowded before the doors then Har answered why dost thou not ask how many doors there are in the hall or how great if thou hearest that told then thou wilt say that it is strange indeed if who whosoever will may not go out and in but it may be said truly that it is no more crowded to find place therein than to enter it. Here thou mayest read in Grimmisal, five hundred doors and forty more, so I deem stand in Vahal. Eight hundred champions go out each door when they fare to fight with the wolf. So if you wanted to do some math, you could find out how many um, 
people are in Valhalla, or how many, yeah, how many people are in Valhalla there. So uh, 540 times 800? 500 doors and 40 more. So 540 times... 800? 800 champions go at each door, yes. Yeah, 540 times 800. Uh, that's a number. <laughs> I, I don't have Hold on, I have a calculator. Let's go. This newfangled invention. 540 times 800, that's only... 43 nope 432,000 432,000 that's a lot big number i it, it doesn't matter it doesn't matter the actual exact number of people who go to valhalla i was just saying i don't know why. but you're not getting in <laughs> I, I, i'm just saying you can uh, calculate it if you want to um <laughs> i like that there's 500 doors i think that is neat i, I do think that actually says something about valhalla that the point of it is to get ready for Ragnarok because it is designed in such a way that when the final battle comes, you can get all the people out, you know, really quickly. There's 500 doors. The whole point isn't to keep people in here. It's not a battle of, it's not a siege. It's not to defend Valhalla. It's to hold the people and get them out quickly to go to the battle because that's the whole thing about Valhalla when it is time to fight that the gods and humans both need to go out there and actually fight it. And the reason I'm making a big deal of this is it goes back to a point that at least I thought very early on in Ossetruth that there is an idea we want to do delay the end of the world or like hole up against the end of the world or make the end of the world not happen. That is a siege mentality. But this is not a siege mentality. It's an attack mentality, which is saying Odin does want Ragnarok to happen when it's the right time for it to happen because that is part of the cycle and what Ragnarok about is not what Ragnarok is about is not stopping the end of the world from coming it's making sure it happens at the right time because the world does need to be reborn we don't want the world to stay the way it is forever in a per in a perfect world we would not embrace stagnation is my point in a perfect world we would embrace the world being destroyed and reborn sounds like an apocalyptic cult to me i didn't say it's ready to be destroyed now <laughs> um it does though doesn't it Sometimes. just a little bit well it's like it's like the ending of final fantasy 7 when it's like he's oh, trying geez. to have the world be destroyed and like but you sort of understood because like it's ready for it to be reborn. But then there's all sorts of other problems with Sephiroth and him being crazy. So he was obviously wrong. But but there is there is like an element to rebirth that is that's good or it's or is positive. I think it's it's easiest to see it within yourself. Like you know, you are a certain you want to become a new better person. You know, you have to kill the old person for that to happen. So you can see rebirth being really positive there. Um, it's harder to see in your children, like, you want to, you're in the, like I, as a parent, I'm in the forefront now for the most part, but I want to go into the background and eventually die so that, like, my kid gets to be in the forefront. I, I understand that I need to die so that my kid can inherit the earth. That's not a bad thing. That's like a thing of rebirth too. And 
And yeah, everything has to be destroyed at some point in time. That's just, or, or evolution, seeing how that works on a big scale is probably another good example. The individual member of the species has to die. So the species as a whole can get stronger as it's reborn with each successive generation. So, so what you're saying is North, Norse mythology should die eventually because it should. Uh, well, yeah, actually it will because well, yeah. in Ragnarok, most of the gods are going to die. And, you know, they'll be reborn to whatever. And it says which gods are going to be left behind, but that's not the same religion anymore. You're not going to have bloats to Odin when he's been killed. You know, maybe it, it will be to Magni or Modi. Maybe those will be the head gods that you have bloats to. And right now we don't have bloats to them. The the only overlap really is going to be Balder because we mm -hmm. try to remember Balder now and after Ragnarok, Balder will come back and he will be an active role in, you know, remembering your ancestors in the future. But yeah, eventually Norse mythology won't be around and that's a good thing because eventually those gods will all be killed and, you know, reborn into whatever they're reborn into. And we'll, we will all be killed, too, and reborn into whatever we're reborn into. But, yeah, every, everything dies. So part of being in this religion, per se, would you say, would be learning to let go? Yes. That's probably controversial, because then you have all these, like, well, are you, like, going too far in this, like, Buddhist thing of... of impermanence and not being connected to physical objects and all this other stuff. But when you really look at the Ragnarok thing, the Ragnarok story, I think that it's showing that ultimately we do everything will be destroyed and, and we should be okay with that. I think what Odin teaches us is everything will be destroyed in Ragnarok and that is a good thing. And that's what has to happen. If we cling desperately to what we have and try to make it not happen, then I think we fall into this stagnant place where we stop growing as people because we don't want anything to change. And and we're too scared something will change to embrace something new. And that's very much the realm of the giants. The giants seem to me anyway to be like the ice giants, sort of stagnant forces that don't want things to change. And that's a really dangerous path go down i i th i think that for me personally i would say a big part of austro is being able to let go of things and not but the connected. opposite would be say like fire giant which is just power of chaos change yeah. constantly which is why we're not making ragnarok happen right this second it's it's that's a good point though it is a balance we don't want things to change for the sake of things changing we don't want to we don't want to destroy the world to destroy the world. We want to destroy the world so it can be reborn. Like ourselves. We don't want to destroy ourselves to destroy ourselves. We want to destroy ourselves to be reborn. So if if you look at the example of a person, you want to destroy the old self so you can become something new. If you didn't have a something new that you wanted to be, and you still decided to destroy the old self, then you're left with nothing. And that's bad. Like, what are you then? That, that's a bad thing. If you want to like look at it in a different way and look at like evolution, I said that the old individual members of a species have to die off so the whole species can continue evolving. 
Well, you wouldn't want just all of the current generation to die out before they procreated. That would just be extinction, and that's bad. So, yeah, you, you don't want to be too chaotic, and you don't want to be too destructive, or you will destroy yourself. But if you're too, if you're too stagnant and too afraid to change, you end up destroying yourself in a different way. It's all about walking the middle path, but the middle path is never going to be clinging desperately to the past. The middle path is going to be looking to the future, but being guided by the past and honoring and remembering where we came from and what made us great and the mistakes that we made, but being able to look into the future. That's the middle. If I, th- I think that some people are too far in the past. They're like, we are Vikings. We're still Vikings. It's like, no, we're not. That doesn't work anymore. We have computers today. We have books today. We have a vast amount of knowledge in front of us. And that's good. And we should embrace that. We don't want to go back to a place where cutting your finger could lead to an infection and kill you. We don't want to go back there. Um, that's bad. That's stagnant. But but also we don't want to just blindly rush into the future with no idea of why we're going or where we came from. And we don't want to go rushing into the future making the same mistakes we've made before or not being guided by those who came before us and have good things to help guide us with. Um, that's also kind of foolhardy. We want, to, we want to strike that middle path, which I think is the one most important thing, in my opinion, about Austru is hitting the middle path. So yeah, that's my rant. Just a random rant in the middle. <laughs> you know, why not? Um, any, anything to add? No, I'm good. <laughs> okay. I forget where we were. Uh, I am ready for 41, so 40. I'll go on. Okay, thank you. And you've given me another one, thanks. Uh, then said Ganglary, a very mighty multitude of men is in Valhalla. So that, by my faith, Odin is a very great chieftain, since he commands so large an army. Now what is the sport of the champions when they are not fighting? Har replied, every day, as soon as they are clothed, they straight away put on their armor and go out into the court and fight, and fell each other. That is their sport. And when the time draws near to un- undern meal... I guess, I don't know. They ride home to Valhalla and sit down to drink, even as it is said here. All the Einherjar in Odin's court deal out blows every day. The slain they choose and ride from the strife sit later in love together. But what thou hast said is true. Odin is of great might. Many examples are found in proof of this, as is here said in the words of the Aesir themselves. Ash Yggdrasil's trunk of trees is foremost and Skidblandnir of ships, Odin of Aesir of all steeds Slepnir, Bifrost of bridges, and Bragi of skulls, Habrok of hawks, and Hounds Grem... <laughs> Garmin. Okay, so, first of all, Bragi of skulls. I like that got in there. Um, this is talking about the Einherjar uh, fighting each other every day in Valhalla. So, So, again, the point of this is they are training to get ready for Ragnarok. In my Mm -hmm. mind, this is, again, saying how important Ragnarok is. And it's something that, you know, you have to actively get ready for. Anything else? Uh, Well, and the rest of it would be saying, hey, here's, here's a list of great things in the world, and there's Odin. Yes, 
Yeah, and I do like that list of great things in the world. And each of those, everyone has probably come across at some point in time reading. Uh, but yeah, he is. He is like the greatest of of chieftains or in charge people. So yeah. So I'll go on to 42. Then said Ganglary, who owns that horse Slepnir? Or what is to be said of him? Har answered, Thou hast no knowledge of Slepnir's points, and thou knowest not the circumstance of his begetting, but it will seem to thee worth telling. It was early in the first days of the gods dwelling here, when the god had established the Midgard and made Vahal, where came at that time a certain rite and offered to build them a citadel in three seasons, so good that it should be staunch and proof against the hill giants and rhyme giants, though they should come in over Midgard. But he demanded as wages that he should have possession of Freya, and would fain have had the sun and the moon. Then the Aesir held parley, and took counsel together, and a bargain was made with the right, that he should have all that which he demanded, if he should succeed in completing the citadel in one winter. On the first day of summer, if any part of the citadel were left unfinished, he should lose his reward, and he was so really and he was to receive help from no man in the work. When they told him these conditions, he asked that they would give him leave to have the help of his stallion, which was called Zvaldiferi, and Loki advised and Loki advised it so that the rights position, petition was granted. He set to work for the first day of winter to make the citadel, and by night he hauled stones with the stallion's aids, and it seemed very marvelous to the Aesir what great rocks the horse drew, for the horse did more rough work by half than it did than did the right. But there but there were strong witnesses to their bargain and many oaths, since it seemed unsafe to the giant to be among the Aesir without truce, if sure if Thor should come home. But Thor had then gone away into the eastern region to fight trolls. Now when the winter drew nigh unto its end, the building of the citadel was far advanced, and was so high and strong that it could not be taken. When it lacked three days of summer, the work had almost reached the gate of the stronghold. The gods sat down in their judgment seats, and sought means of evasion, and asked one another who had advised giving Freya into Jotunheim, or so destroying their air and the heaven as to take thence the sun and the moon and give them to the giants the gods agreed that it must have counseled this who is wont to give evil counsel loki lauferis son and they declared him deserving an ill death if he could if he could not hit upon a way of losing the right his wages and they threatened loki with violence but when he became frightened, then he swore oaths that he would so contrive that the right should lose his wages, costing him what it might. That same evening when the right drove out after after stone with the stallion Svildarfari, a mare bound forth from a certain wood and whinnied to him. The stallion perceived what manner of horse this was straight away straightway became frantic and snapped the traces asunder and leaped over to the mare and she away to the woods and the right after striving to seize the stallion 
The horse ran all night, and the wright stopped there that night, and afterwards that day the work was not done as it had been before. When the wright saw that the work could not be brought to an end, he fell into giant's fury. Now the Aesir saw surely that the hill giant was come thither. They did not regard their oaths reverently, but called on Thor, who came as quickly, and straightway the hammer Mjolnir was raised aloft. He paid the wright's wage, and not with the sun and the moon. Nay, he even denied him dwelling in Jotunheim, and struck but the one first blow, so that his skull was burst into small crumbs, and sent him down below under Nifle, under Nifle hell. But Loki's such dealings was Svaldilfari, that somewhat later he gave birth to a foal, which was gray and had eight feet, and this horse is the best among gods and men, so is said in Valsapa. Then all the power strode to the seats of judgment, the most holy gods, council held together, who had their air all with evil envenomed, or to the Aten race, orders made in give. Broken were oaths then, bound and swearing, pledges all sacred, which passed between them. Thor alone smote thee, swollen with anger. He seldom sits still, when such he hears of. Okay, so that was kind of long. That was the story. <laughs> but I have a question. That was the story. Uh, yes. Um, have you heard about asking for the sun and the moon as like a, a phrase that people use now and again for asking over much? Um, I have very rarely heard that used in real life. <clears throat> I've heard it. And I wonder if this is the pro- progenitor of it. I bet it is. I, I guess I can't say for sure. But I, 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 it seems likely, doesn't it? That this is a story yeah. that is important to people and, you know, kind of like folklore is sort of like some of the stories passed down in like different bastardized versions. However, I will point out, again, this was written down by Snorri, right? Yes. And maybe it was a common enough phrase that he added it into the story later, but we don't know. Oh, that's true. That's true. We don't know. Um, anyway, this is always a difficult story because... Uh, yeah, the gods are like, yeah, we'll let you marry Freya and have the sun and the moon if you make this wall. And then he's making the wall and then, you know, he's definitely going to get it made in time. And then Loki turns into a horse. And <laughs> another horse. Um, as Loki is wont to do. As Loki is wont to do. I mean, it's sort of conniving and underhanded. It's a conniving, underhanded way to get out of the oath. They do technically get away without breaking an oath. Because they're like, oh, no, you didn't get it done in time. Well, didn't get it done in time, and Thor didn't swear nothing. <sighs> yeah, Thor didn't swear anything. Well, it says that the giant got mad with giant rage, so I, I feel like he attacked them, and then Thor was like, well, well you attacked first, so I'm fine to kill you. Um, but, I mean, he would have definitely got done in time if it wasn't for Loki intervening. It's kind of an underhanded way to get out of that oath. It is, but like they they wanted it ha- to get done, and he was there anyway. And this is why they put the you know caveat yeah. saying, "Well, if you don't finish it on this time, then I sh- you won't get paid." Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because they they seemed hesitant at first anyway. They were. They were, um, and and later in like the flighting of Loki. Loki is like insulted and looked down for turning into a horse and having sex with another horse. Um, as a woman. What, as a woman. <laughs> what I'm or saying a mare. 
is I, I don't, it's not honorable necessarily to turn yourself into an animal and have sex with other animals and then have babies by those animals. Just in case that's yet, the thing you were doing. And yet, he gifted it to Odin, and Odin uses Schleppner. He did. Isn't it weird? It comes from, like, such a weird place. You'd think there'd be bad memories or something. And, and you know, even after Loki is chained to the middle of the earth to for um, betraying the gods, and it at other points in time, because Loki has other children that are come that come from, like, his wife, and and they're all monstrosities, and they're all put in, like, not-so-good places. But Sleipnir is like Odin's horse. So it's interesting that he has such a, like, bad, quote-unquote, bad origin story. Um, but then he's such, like, an esteemed part of the gods, because it's Odin's horse. It's a hugely important role to take. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, good story. Uh, I, I do like how they got themselves out of the oath, so technically they didn't break an oath, but... <laughs> I mean, it did, yeah, they didn't break an oath, so I guess it's fine. Uh, yeah, but but it is, it is kind of a, <laughs> it's a weird story. Yeah, but yeah. this cunning seems to be mostly generally thrown at the foot of Loki anytime such yeah. things happen. Well, that's the thing, this is a thing that comes up and earlier in the story it said like uh, when they're deciding if they took the deal that loki counseled that they should um something that seems to happen over and over again before loki was actually changed is is he would just like get the gods in trouble and then get them out of trouble and in most of the stories it's just straight up something he did completely uncoerced gets everybody in trouble um you know, like when he cuts off Seif's hair. That That's not yeah. like there was, the gods wanted it to happen, but they couldn't quite make the agreement. But it was like just completely, he did something wrong, like cutting off Seif's so hair. So he's, lol, I'm so random. <sighs> yeah, I, well, I mean, he is extremely chaotic. Yes. Um, but he's constantly getting the gods into trouble and then kind of saving the day and getting them out of trouble. And if you think about it, that's the origin story of Mjolnir, is what, what when he cut off the yep. hair, that whole story, roundabout way, gets Mjolnir and, and a bunch of uh, that boat and the Gullenbursty, that boar. Mjolnir is probably the most important one because that's such a pivotal part of like the gods. You know, they couldn't fight the giants without Mjolnir. So it's like a bunch of the stuff that Loki does is super beneficial and super important but also it's all tainted with this like weird why did you get in this <laughs> kind of trouble in the first place right why does this have to be the beginning like you being a weirdo and cutting someone's hair off for a funny joke why does that have to be the beginning of like mjolnir um it's interesting how much like good stuff comes from these pranks that he pulls and then like gets himself back out of yeah but um i i feel like he could have been uh like part of the azir and he was for a long time and he could mm -hmm. like continue to be in that position of that like trickster god that gets you into trouble but then out of trouble 
but then i mean the risk of any trickster god is what if what if you go too far and and loki's an example of someone who did go too far with the whole killing balder thing and Mm -hmm. I, i think that's the part where he went too far um so you know now he's an enemy of the gods but if it wasn't for that i think he could have been like a good part of the gods but you know he went way too far and like actually turned against the gods which is something that i actually really like about norse mythology in in a lot of in a lot of cases you can be like well this is an archetype and a lot of different religions have this certain archetype or whatever but i think all of the gods and talking about loki here is actually also an individual because he made a really bad decision where maybe a goddess like Anansi didn't or the other trickster goddess gods and goddesses often didn't go too far they didn't cross that line and they're still part of a pantheon but here loki did go too far because he's an individual and that's why, you know, we would never mention his name at bloat, whereas in other religions, they will mention their trickster gods and goddesses at bloat, which is totally acceptable and totally cool because those gods who are individuals didn't go too far. So it just brings everything up to another level of complexity beyond just archetypes. They're archetypes, sure, but they're also stories and they're individual stories about individuals. And, and I like examples of that. Anyway, I feel like I'm going on all sorts of tangents today. <laughs> you must be in a mood. Uh, I guess so. Um, all right, so I'll go on. 43. Okay. And said Gangleri, what is to be said of Skidbladner, that which is best of ships? Is there no ship equal great, or equally great? Har replied. Skidbladner is best of ships and made with most skill of craftsmanship. But Nagalfar is the largest ship. Mospel has it. Certain dwarves, sons of Irvaldi, made Skinlander and gave the ship to Frey. It is so great that all the Aesir may man it with their weapons and armaments, and it has a favoring wind as soon as the sail is hoisted. Whithersoever it is bound, but when there is no occasion for going to sea in it it is made of so many things that and with so much cutting that then it may be folded together like a napkin and kept in one's pouch <laughs> i like that that's pretty cool um again from a story with loki is how that ship got made. same story yeah you yeah. so it's, it's funny how like good and bad comes from that one um I'm going to read the next one, thir- for- 44. Mm-hmm. Uh, then spake Ganglary, a good ship is Skidbladnir, but very great magic must have been used upon it before it got to be so fashioned. Has Thor never experienced such a thing, that he has found in, pa- in his path somewhat so mighty or so powerful that it has overmatched him through strength or magic? Then said Har, Few men, I ween, are able to tell of this, yet many a thing has seemed to him hard to overcome. Though there may have been something so powerful or strong that Thor might not have succeeded in winning the victory, yet it is not necessary to speak of it, because there are so many examples to prove, and because all are bound to believe that Thor is mightiest. 
Then said Glenglary, It seems to me that I must have asked you touching this matter what no one is able to tell of. Then spake Jaffnar, We have heard say concerning some matters which seem to us incredible, but here sits one at hand who will know how to tell true tidings of this. Therefore thou must believe that he will not lie for the first time now, who never lied before. Glary said, Here I will stand and listen, if any answer is forthcoming to this word. But otherwise I pronounce you overcome, if ye cannot tell that which I ask you. Then spake Thridri, Now it is evidence that he is resolved to know this matter, though it seems not to us a pleasant thing to tell. This is the beginning of this tale. Oku Thor drove forth with his he-goes and chariot, and with him the ass called Loki. They came at <laughs> evening to a husbandman's, and there they received night's lodging. About evening, Thor took his he-goes and slaughtered them both. After that, they were flayed and borne into the cauldron. When, he, when the cooking was done, then Thor and his companion sat down to supper. Thor invited to meet with him the the husbandman and his wife, and their children. The husbandman's son was called Thialfi, and his daughter Roskva. Then Thor laid the goat hides farther away from the fire, and said that the husbandman and his servants should cast the boats on the goat hides. Thialfi, the husbandman's son, was holding a thigh bone of the goat, and split it with his knife, and broke it for the marrow. Thor tarried there overnight, and in the interval before day he rose up and closed himself, took the hammer Mjolnir, swung it up, and hollowed the goat hides. Straight away the he-goats rose up, and then one of them was lame in a hind leg. Thor discovered this and declared that the husbandman or his household could not have dealt wisely with the bones of the goat. Be knew that they thigh bone, wait be knew that the thigh bone was broken. There's no need to make a long story of it. All may know how frightened the husbandman must have been when he saw Thor let his brows sink before his eyes. But when he looked at the eyes, then it seemed to him that he must fall down before their glances alone. Thor clenched his hand on the hammer shaft so that his knuckles whitened, and the husbandman and all his household did what was to be expected. They cried out lustily, prayed for peace, offered in recompense all that they had. But when he saw their terror, then the fury departed from him, and he became appeased, and took of them in atonement their children, Thialfi (laughs) and Roskva, who then became his bondservants, and they followed him ever since. It's like, oh, it's okay, guys, just give me your kits. (laughs) I think it's a different time, which makes it was well. If you think about it, you're probably you're probably better off being a servant to the very mighty gods. Yes, you are, and and that was a lot of people's life that they would just be, you know, servants forever. So so it's not as terrible as if you know that happened. It's like well, you can have my kids, I guess. Um, yeah, it's it's not necessarily a bad life. And I think there would be times where, you know, even in quote-unquote real life, if like a really wealthy merchant came by and he was like, hey, can I have your kid for a servant? You'd be like, yeah, because that's going to be a better life for them than I'm ever going to be able to provide here. 
Just hope it's a, a good master. Well, and that's the other thing. And obviously Thor would be, but but right. That, that'd be scary. Because, you know, back then there there was always that thing. And, and you'd be apprentices, you know. Like if, if you were a kid but getting ready to getting older like in your early teen years or something you might be an apprentice to somebody which if the guy you were apprenticing was cool then like whatever that's fine but what if he was a jerk what if he was abusive what if he was you know how wherever your mind wants to go with this yeah a lot of stories of abuse back in like the 1100s um but this particular story, yeah, I, I was thinking there is some translation I read of it where Loki had turned to the sun and be like, oh, uh, why are you why are you letting the good marrow go to waste? That seems sort of silly. You're just throwing the bones away anyway. And you I convinced think him to crack it. That might be in the one that has the story titled Thorgo's Efficient. I have got to buy that book. I've got to find it. It's, I believe it's titled Norse Stories. I yeah, can't remember I who the translator was, though. I'll have to see if I can find that. Anyway, um, uh, so whose fault it is, I guess, is not overly important. But um, this could be another place where Loki was sort of getting involved, convincing somebody to do something they probably shouldn't do. Um, but this time it kind of worked out good because he ended up being a faithful servant uh, as time went by. So, So, yeah, that was good. Um, we are probably getting close to an hour. And this one is a fairly long, uh, chapter part. <laughs> part, what, what part is this? 45? Yes. Uh, oh gosh. Yeah, that's, that's a long one. Um, so I think here we're, we're probably getting into that story, um, yeah. Of when Thor goes to see Utgard Loki. So we will. So we've just really began it with that little thing. So I think we're going to keep the rest of it for tomorrow. So XLV. Mm -hmm. I should put that in the chat so I don't forget XLV. And if I was professional. Oh, you already did it. I did <laughs> this out. I'm not. I'm leaving it in there. Um, okay, so next time we will start at 46. Um, 45. 45. I'm sorry. Yeah, next time we will start at 45. Do you have any last minute? The thing with this is there's not like a coherent topic. It's just it is. Everywhere. It, the, the, the coherent topic just starts from the very beginning of this, which is just a conversation between you know, uh, Ganglari and, and supposedly like Odin in three forms right. trying to get extra information while he's lingering here up in uh, Asgard. And that's the overarching theme. However, what it really boils down to, it seems like it's one of these uh, repetition old tales that you would yeah. tell your children in front of the fire so they they know all the lore. This is your basic primer. And that's what we're doing here. We're reading through it, and we're seeing the uh, inklings of every story that we've ever read in Norse mythology before. Yeah. Uh, no, I agree. So this is sort of like the, the premise is, look, there's just two guys having a conversation about whatever, and then we're going to use that as a way to uh, present a bunch of lore and interesting things that come up in conversation. 
sort of ironic how that's hey what are we uh, doing yeah, I, know. <laughs> I know so it fits the show really well um i like yeah, we should retitle the podcast that's we're just going to be the no, guilt getting from now on right no i feel like that's uh <laughs> that's setting the bar way too high um I like the Gilf beginning though. It's a, it it is. It's a bunch of tales or stories that we've we've heard other places, but they're retelling them, telling them from a different perspective. And each one, I think, can add a little bit of a insight into the other ones. But mostly, it's just a good excuse to go through all these stories and pass on this lore and knowledge that is in them. So. And, yeah, you know, like like there. most stories back in the day, this probably all rhymed and had like a, a musical yes. lilt to it, poetically. Yeah. I would love to... And maybe somebody has done it. I'm sure somebody's done it. I, w- I would love to see that like redone today. Retell all the stories. Maybe not even like completely, perfectly... Um, nah, I'd not, be afraid of like dilution if they, if they yeah, couldn't make it poetic. I, not like an intellectual translating of text, but a person like telling the stories, but in a like musical, lyrical way. It, it would have to be someone who is close to the stories and really passionate about them. But I wonder if that could be interesting. So not like this is the poetic edda, but my version of it or something. But like these are Norse stories. I'm going to restart the oral tradition of Norse stories and you record it and you like... If you were the type who was uh, braggy-inspired, who who could say things poetically, that'd be interesting to kind of like restart the oral tradition of Norse mythology. That, well, the that fun, could be neat. The, the fun thing is uh, there's a gentleman that I, you know, listen to on YouTube now and again who will read parts of the stories in Old Norse, and it sounds very, very cool. I know. I wish Japanese and Old Norse are the two languages that I will never learn, but actually want to. And German's fun, too. German is fun. I took German for like three years, and then I realized I cannot learn other languages. It's just, I'm not good at it. Um, I can't say anything in German at all. Guten Burger. Guten Tag. Guten Abend. Guten Morgen. One of those good, yeah, that means good morning. I I couldn't listen to a German conversation and understand any of the words. I couldn't listen to a German conversation when I was in German class for like my third semester. And I watched any words. I watched no two good. German anime reviews tonight, and they were awesome. Did you know what they said? Yeah. Oh really? Can, wait, were they speaking German? Yeah. Were they subtitled? No. What you just like understood German well enough? Uh, yeah, between myself and Samantha, we've, really? we've studied some German and nice. like, we didn't know everything he said, but right. based on Basic inflection idea. and, and the, and the words that we know and the fact that, you know, he was also using some Japanese in there. Yeah, it was fun. Huh. Interesting. That's cool. Um, I've been like profe- classically trained in German. I can't say anything. Casa might be cheese or maybe that's French. I don't remember. Kinder. <sighs> I love, oh, that means kids. Yep. You know that. Um, I I love the idea of learning another language. Actually, doing it is a different story. Plus, uh, I've got other things. I can't remember what the app is. Uh, there's like a language training app. It's got like a little owl on it. Yeah, Duolingo. I use that. It doesn't work for me. It's just oh. I'm, just, I'm just, it's not my thing. 
I <laughs> used it a lot. It was a lot of fun. You know what happened to me? It, mm. it was like, and we have to wrap it. This is totally <laughs> sorry. Um, anyway, I I couldn't lose. I I found that there was a point where it, the difficulty jumped too high, and I couldn't get over that hump. So that's what happened to me. I'll, I'll give you the details offline. Okay. Um, mostly, I'm just not good at language. It's it's totally on me, but uh, it's not my strong point. But I love the idea of them. Anyway, thank you everyone for listening. My only final thoughts are read the GIF again because there's a lot of good information in there. Um, before we wrap up, Laura, why don't you tell everybody about your book that you read? Oh, see, you, you launched right into it. I, I could have said my final thought is read my book. You must oh, be drunk. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's on the, in the Kindle store or Kindle store. It's on Amazon and it's on for Kindle if you want it there. And uh the feedback has been very positive, so go out and look for You Must Be Drunk, written by Stephen and Samantha Oaks. Yes, definitely. Check it out. And while you're checking things out, go to hugenhoff.org. That's my website, and you can also check it out. Um, the podcast page has the RSS feed. You should probably... I like subscribing to that because it's a monthly podcast and it's very easy to forget to go out there every month. And also, I'm late sometimes. You know, I'll put it out on the second. But if you're on RSS, it will come to your podcast downloader of choice as soon as it's out. So, yeah. And remember, my uh, email address is there, huganhoffpodcast at gmail.com if you had any questions, concerns, or ideas for shows. Uh, I think that's it. I feel like I'm forgetting something, but I think that's it. So thank you everyone for listening, and we will talk to you next month. Fra hell. Fra hell.